all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, it's all about you guys. We are open topic, so you can send in your general health and wellness questions, as well as coronavirus questions or anything you want to talk about today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 our email is fit at mpbonline.org, or you can interact over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. I've already got some great questions that have come in over the past week and this morning as well that we will get to today. Hey, Kevin. Good morning, Josie. Hope you're doing well this morning. I am. I am. You know, it looks to be not, not so great of a, a weather day outside. Uh, kind of looking like it might be a little yucky this afternoon, but that's okay too. Um, you know, a good day for curling up with a book. I mean, I'm not going to do that. I got lots of work to do, but it would be a good day if that's what you could do today. Do you have a good weekend? Yes. Uh, my friend and I went uh, for a uh, retreat uh, this weekend in a uh, cabin at uh, Clarko State Park in Quitman. Uh, so had uh, two, uh, three days there and uh, went swimming in the lake and uh, went on the nature trail. Uh, managed to uh, come out uh, back to civilization both times, which with us, that's always a challenge. <laughs> but uh, I always love seeing your adventures. You, you do great things on the weekend. And what I love about it is that you're outside and you're active. Right. You know, and that's that's two really important things that I think, you know, we can be utilizing right now with so many things being closed or, you know, having restrictions on them. Outside is open. Um, and so, you know, getting out there, even though it's hot, you know, being smart about it, but getting out there and being active and exploring and just kind of enjoying, um, the kind of hidden treasures that we've got in this, in this state. You know, I, um, I Facebook stalked you a couple (laughs) weeks ago. Not really. I mean, we're friends on Facebook, so I can see it, but you know, you had gone to, um, Rocky Springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, where's this? What is this? And so you shared that with me and my husband and I went last weekend um, for just a little, we just rode down for the day and did a little hiking and, um, you know, found a little waterfall and all these kinds of things that you wouldn't, you, know, you don't know about, you know, and it was a great way to get out of the house, you know, get off of our butts and we didn't interact with anybody, you know, I mean, we were socially distanced and, you know, it was just a great way to, to decompress. Now I did come upon some chiggers cause I've got <laughs> some, some bites, um, in some places, but you know, it was, it was great to just find little hidden treasures. So, you know, I encourage folks to be able to get out as, as much as they can, 
Um, but do be mindful of the heat because it is, you know, it's July in Mississippi and it is super hot um, out there. So if you're going to be active, you know, early in the morning mm-hmm. when it's not as hot and then toward, you know, the, the end of the day um, as well for, you know, for really being active while you're outside, making sure you're staying hydrated as well, drinking plenty of, of fluids. I think Rocky Springs is a good one because it's not an overly long trail and you get to kind of explore what's left of the little town of Rocky Springs. The church is there and there's some couple of other things. And then, as you said, it's just a short uh, two and a half miles down the trace uh, to where that little waterfall was. And that was just really gorgeous. So uh, we enjoy it doing was. that. You know, there are several things along the Natchez Trace. There are some that are short if you're a more experienced hiker or whatever. There are some longer trails as well. Uh, but also, I would say a staycation idea, the state parks. We had a wonderful time there. Friendly staff, you know, love the lake and everything. So that's a that's a choice as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I, I we love to hike. Uh, my time hop from this morning reminded me that last year I was hiking uh, in in Arkansas and canoeing down the Buffalo River and those types of things. And so uh, you had shared with me that uh, you could get to that little waterfall by just you know, going a couple miles extra down the road, but I did not share that with my husband. I told him we had to hike to it because there was a hiking trail. Um, and the word trail, I use it very, uh, very loosely because it was not a well marked out trail that we, uh, traipsed along through. Uh, so lots of high grass, lots of, um, uh, kind of fallen trees and those kinds of things, which is fun when you're hiking, but something that you have to be careful and need to be dressed appropriately for. You know, you really need to have on uh, long pants when you're doing that um, so that you don't get poison ivy on your legs or bugs and these chiggers and, you know, all of this kind of stuff, which can make it doubly different, difficult when it's so hot outside. So, you know, there's there's great ways to research your trails um, and and have a good time getting out there and exploring Mississippi. So, with that being said, um, one of the first questions that I got actually came in last week, and we obviously were not. I was not live on the air last week, so I promised this person that I would respond this week. So we'll make sure we get to that. She asked about. Um, steps versus minutes when doing physical activity, because we see a lot of kind of this 10,000 step um, number that we, we should be shooting for this 10,000 steps a day. And so she said that you know, she wears a pedometer. She usually gets about 45 minutes of walking in per day, um, but doesn't hit 10,000 steps. And so which one is more important, the 10,000 steps or the minutes? And so I think it's important to, kind of examine where the 10,000 step situation came from, like why that is a a thing. And so uh, it generally comes from what a normal, how many steps are in a normal mile. So that 10,000 steps usually equates to five miles. And that in some way equates to helping hit the amount of physical activity we're supposed to get a day. But it has limitations for that. Um, the limit, one of, some of the limitations are the fact that not everybody's stride length is the same, right? So some people are going to take much smaller steps um, crossing the same distance, whereas I have a pretty long stride length. And so um, <laughs> most people who walk with me, even when I'm walking, they say I'm 
they have to jog <laughs> to keep up with me because I go everywhere kind of one speed, which is pretty fast and with a pretty long uh, stride. So I tend to take fewer steps in that same distance than someone else who maybe has a shorter stride length. Um, the other is what is, you know, what is the intensity that we're, we're doing those things? And, and that varies from person to person based on their uh, energy level or their fitness level. And so it can be a good marker to look at, but it's not the be all and end all. Um, you know, the, the guidelines for exercise are really trying to get that 150 minutes per week of physical activity in, however you do that in, you know, short couple of minute activities or in more long sustained activities. Um, so I tend to be more concerned with the um, number of minutes versus the number of steps, but some people find it very helpful to have a goal to shoot for in terms of steps. And so the, you know, the first thing that I usually recommend is just seeing where you are, right? So maybe wearing your pedometer, your Fitbit, or whatever it is you're using to track your steps for a week and just seeing what your average daily step count is, right? Is it 1,000? Is it 2,000? Um, and then writing a goal from there, um, not going from 2,000 to 10,000, right? A lot of people are going to try that. They may do it, may even do it for a couple of days, but they may be sore. They may be tired. It may have taken them a really long time, and then they don't see it as something that they can feasibly add into their daily routine. So just working on maybe increasing it in increments of 1,000 steps or 500 steps a day until you get comfortable. There was a article published in uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association not too terribly long ago that looked at the number of steps kind of needed for heart health. Now, there were limitations of the study, just like there are limitations in anything. It only looked at, at women, and really the primary endpoint that they were looking at was just mortality. And women who walked at least 4,400 steps a day had lower mortality than those who walked 2,000 or less. So, you know, that's kind of can be a, you know, one goal to try and work toward is just getting to that, you know, 4,000, 5,000 kind of, kind of goal in there. Um, and then the most benefit was seen in women who got up to about 7,500 steps a day, which is considerably less than that 10,000 goal. So saying all of that, find out where you are, what your current pattern is, and then what you feel is realistic and doable to increase day over day to get to whatever your ultimate goal is there. So, you know, I don't think it's the, the be all and end all, but any exercise is better than no exercise. Um, you know, step counts only work on people that are doing steps, right? And that may not be the best exercise for you, depending on back issues or knee issues or these other kind of things, you may do better on a stationary bike, which is not going to pick up your steps. You may do better in a pool, which is not going to pick up your steps. So any exercise is better than no exercise. That makes sense, Kevin? Yes, and I would just throw in one quick thing about pedometers. Uh, I would say if you're going to get one, maybe invest a little bit of money and, and get a, an, a good one. I know that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, they're given away as kind of freebies. I had one once, and I was kind of suspicious of it, and um, I took it off my belt and shook it, and I added like 50 <laughs> steps to my walk. So you got to yes. make sure you got a decent pedometer if you want to get some accurate results. Yes, Absolutely. 
we um, ordered some pedometers to do, you know, giveaways when we first opened Lifestyle Medicine Clinic. And, and they were that way. Uh, they, they were not great. And so we stopped giving those out. Um, but our department decided to do a, uh, a step challenge for, for Christmas. So between Thanksgiving and, and our Christmas party, everybody wore this pedometer and we were going to see who got the most steps in. Um, and I kept mine clipped to uh, my, my pants, you know. Uh, and I forgot, and I went to the bathroom, and it fell off my pants and landed on the ground, and it reset itself. And I had a bunch of steps when it reset itself, and I was so mad that that dang thing reset itself. So then, then I was shaking it and moving all around, trying to catch it back up, and I, I did not win. So, uh, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, and you don't have to spend a ton of money, but get one that, you know, is from a reputable brand that is not, that you don't hear the, the mechanism inside of it shaking around with every step that you take. And, you know, your, most of your phones um, count your steps as well. So, you know, if you're keeping it kind of on your person while you're walking, you know, in your pants pocket, or I wear a lovely fanny pack when, when I walk around, my husband makes fun of me. I don't care. Um, you know, that helps to kind of pick up some of my steps that way. But the, the take home message is just get out, get active. You know, even if you start with five minutes a day of just walking around it, it it's so much better than just remaining sedentary. You know, we really got to get up and, and, and get active there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC, and we're answering your questions today. It's open topic, so however we can help you, we want to do that. You can give us a call at one mpb ring Our email is fit at mpbonline.org, or you can interact with me over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. And we do have a caller on the line, so we'll go ahead and get to Terry in Tupelo. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Uh, that yep. uh, step counter reset thing kind of sounds like the dog ate my homework type excuse. <laughs> uh, it it does, but it was it was unfortunately true, and I shed a few tears, <laughs> but I accepted my defeat with dignity. Okay, so I have a question. 
Okay. Uh, it's so hot, it's so hot right now. I put my road bike on a trainer, so mm-hmm. you know so you can put your back wheel on and sit mm-hmm. there and do your thing. But I have I've, I've tried to think about it and what I could do, but I have no way of counting how far I've gone on my trainer because it's not you know it's not an expensive mm-hmm. trainer. Is there any apps or anything that accounts for revolutions? Hmm. You know, I do not know that off the top of my head. That's something that I'm going to, I'll look into that. Um, You would think, I mean, there's an app for everything. So you would think that somebody has created that out there. um, But I don't know the answer to that. What I would, how far, how, how long are you riding for? Well, yeah, I go 45 minutes to an hour, and I've gone online, and I've looked at, okay, what is 45 minutes to an hour? How many miles is that? But, you know, right. it's, not completely, it's not completely accurate. It would be so neat if there was some type of app that would count revolutions and then, you know, say, okay, this mm-hmm. is how many feet or miles or whatever that's been. Right. So, anyway, Absolutely. my knees won't take uh won't take walking anymore or running. I used to be a runner. Yeah. And I had, I had to stop that. So now I'm a road biker, but it's so hot outside. I'm riding inside. I'm kind of kind of cutting off the edge a little bit and riding inside yeah. my house. I do cut my air off and my fan off if that helps. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you have some, some air moving around in there. You know, I think people <laughs> think that you have to be sweaty to be working out and obviously sweat is is one way that we know we are exerting ourselves but it's not the the only thing we have to look at you know it's really how much uh kind of effort that our our heart our cardiorespiratory system is doing you know what's our increase in our heart rate what's um you know how what's our respiratory rate and those kinds of things and trying to get to you know a certain heart rate if that's what you're looking for I tend to Right. go with the the talk test you know it's a, a cheap non-equipment based way to tell how intense i'm working out you know light moderate yeah i have and, my heart um, rate monitor on my little fitbit so that tells uh-huh. me my you know heart rate yeah. heart rate mm-hmm. but i just mm-hmm. wanted to, to figure out distance but of course you know i may just use the excuse that it fell off and reset itself you could always do that. It has worked well for me, and I fully endorse it. Hey, Terry. Um, yeah. When I had my bike, I thought I had uh, a little thing. I think the bike company or the company that makes uh, uh, bike equipment, it was a little odometer, I thought, that somehow uh, it had one piece that, that mounted on my handlebars and then the other. On the tire. On yeah. The yeah. You know, I thought about that, but I've just got so many wires already. I was just wondering if there was an app. I mean, I know I could go to something like that, but I was hoping to cut down on the weight, you know, because I do. uh, I hit the tangle foot and the trace when I'm up in Tupelo, you know, when I'm able to ride outside, but it's just so brutal right now. Yeah, yeah, it's too hot for that. I'm going to look into it, though. And so if I, if I find anything, of course, I'll post it over on my Facebook page and then I'll bring it up in a, in a future show. It seems like there would be some kind of Bluetooth, something that they would have now um, that, that would do that. So I'll look into it. Or maybe we can find a teenager that can write this app because I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I belong to Innovate Mississippi, so maybe, you yeah. know, somebody in Innovate can put that together. 
Thank you so much for giving us a call today. I needed this giggle. It was great. All right. And I think we have another caller on the line. We'll go down to Gulfport and talk with Tim. Hello, Tim. Morning. Uh, Good morning. You, you came up with the same solution I did. When I, I'm in my 72nd year, and when I was a wee lad, I had a 40-pound uh, cast iron bicycle by Schwinn that uh, had uh, two little uh, wheels that attached to the front and the rear wheel. The uh, front little wheel generated power for my uh, electric light, and uh, so I could ride behind the uh, uh, mosquito trucks. And the <laughs> rear wheel that was an analog uh, odometer, like you said. And uh, if Schwinn made it back in the 50s, I'm sure that somewhere out there they're available. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something I'm going to check into, and I'm sure the technology has probably, you know, improved to make it less, you know, less cumbersome or, or less wires and those kinds of things. So I think it's out there. I'm, you know, full interest of disclosure, I'm not a bike rider. Um, they they scare me, and I don't know why. It's just a mental hang-up that I have, but I, I, call, it, <laughs> I call it a death yeah. rocket because well, that's what I feel like when yeah. I get on it. But yeah, my, uh, my kids my, ride their bikes and love it. My husband rides his bike and love it. It's just not my particular brand of, of exercise. That's what makes exercise so great. There's something for everybody out there. Um, so well, I'll have to do a little digging because I'm, yeah. I'm not that knowledgeable about the different things that are available for bikes, but we're going to look into it. Well, I haven't ridden a bike since I was about 12 years old. So, uh, yeah, my wife bought <laughs> me a right. three-wheeler. My wife bought me a three-wheeler, but uh, unfortunately, uh, my hips are not such that I can yeah. ride those things without a little pain. And uh, yeah. besides, I get all the exercise I need by being a pallbearer for all my friends my age who start to exercise. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> Oh, goodness. All right, Tim. Thank you so Bye -bye. much for giving me a call today. And if you want to give us a call, our number is one mpb ring And we're going to go to Preston on the road and talk with him today. Good morning, Preston. Good morning, Josie. How are you today? I can't complain. How are you? Well, I'm big, fat, mild, and old, and ugly, but I don't care. <laughs> Good. Own it. Uh, I've got a question for you that you may or may not want to get into. Okay, well, I'll do my best. I'm 66 years old. Okay. I have taken three flu shots in my lifetime, and all three times it seems like I get a very bad sinus infection. With the coronavirus going on the way that it is right now, should I go ahead and take a flu shot, and if so, when? Yep. Okay, great. So, you know, I am, of course, a proponent of the flu vaccine. It is a very um, powerful tool we have in trying to um, slow the spread of flu in people who are not able to take um, vaccines for various reasons. Um, you know, you're certainly not the only person that, you know, tends to get an upper respiratory type infection um, following getting a flu vaccine. It does appear that that is largely kind of coincidental, um, that it's, you know, it's not from the actual flu vaccine, just from the fact that there are circulating viruses going around during that particular time of the year, um, especially with the, of course, the way that the flu vaccine has um, improved over the years and the fact that it is not a live virus vaccine um, unless it's the nasal spray one. 
Um, so I would say that it's probably more coincidence. And so, you know, anytime that you're hesitant to do something, you always want to weigh the risks and the benefits of those particular options, as well as discussing them with your regular healthcare provider to see what their, you know, particular um, thought is based on your risk. Of course, you said you're 66, so you're now entering into, um, you know, a, a higher risk age group of folks that are more likely to have not a great outcome from the flu. And what is particularly concerning for me um, and all, all healthcare workers, I think, right now is what this fall is going to look like, because not only will we be dealing with flu, um, and, you know, whatever strains of that are circulating will also have the coronavirus. And so um, what does co-infection look like, right? So we know that people over the age of 65 tend to not do as well with coronavirus. What happens if we have both respiratory pathogens present at the same time and we have someone infected with coronavirus and the flu? And, you know, what does right. that clinical course look like? And we just don't know because we haven't seen it yet. And so, you know, knowing the things that we know about coronavirus and flu, I can't imagine that it's going to be particularly great. So, um, you know, I feel like flu vaccinations are going to be an important part of just trying to limit having a second respiratory pathogen infecting a large portion of people. Um, so, you know, as soon as they become available uh, is a good time. They're not they're not out yet. Um, I usually always recommend getting the flu vaccine before the end of October, um, just okay. because that's really when, you know, flu season starts to kick up, um, as well as holidays. And we just have more people around each other during the holidays. So there's more transmission then. So I always try and make sure I get mine in before, um, before the end of October, but I usually wind up getting it somewhere around September, whenever, of course, whenever they become available at, at my hospital. Okay where we get them. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you listening and giving us a call today. Drive safe. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we're answering your questions today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 
I've had some emails and questions that have come in and some that have come directly into my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie, which is a great way to send your questions in, especially when we're not on the air. Um, if you have a burning question that hits you at 2 a.m., I'm not going to answer it at 2 a.m., but I will when I get up. And so um, we had one came, that came in this morning that asked about um, a, a particular label on a canned food. And so I'm going to I'm going to pull that up so that I don't get it wrong. Um, it I think it's from Walmart. Um, and so it asks about. About here it is. Here we go. So it says, my cans of mushrooms and asparagus don't have the great for you stamp of approval. My other canned fruits and veggies have. Do they dirt deserve this disrespect? So I was not familiar with that particular label um, designation, so I had to look it up. Um, and it is it is um, uh, proprietary to Walmart. Um, and it is, it's a great idea. It's in an effort to help increase um, kind of health literacy and being able to understand uh, in, a, in a rather quick way, things that might be healthier, um, healthier for you. So um, they say they have about 30% of their items in the store qualify for this uh, particular designation. It's actually been around since February of 2012. Um, and of course, a lot of the things that it's on are going to be fresh um, um, fruits and vegetables. Some of the other things that it's going to do is, is they're looking at kind of two big steps. One is encouraging people to eat more fruits, vegetables, fiber-rich whole grains, nuts and seeds, lean meats, and low-fat dairy. And the other step is trying to limit the amount of total trans and saturated fat, sodium, and added sugars. So knowing that, um, I would imagine, and I haven't looked at the can for mushrooms or asparagus, I would imagine that they probably have more sodium in them than what is meeting the guidelines for that particular label designation. So, you know, we've talked about that before, that canned foods aren't necessarily bad. Um, it's all about what you can afford, what you're able to store, and what you ha have access to being able to prepare um, and so those may have more sodium in them. Um, techniques for doing that we've talked about are draining and rinsing those products really well to try and get as much sodium as you can off of there. So I don't necessarily think it's a disrespect thing. I just don't think they're uh, probably meeting the, the relatively stringent guidelines that they have for being labeled one of those products. And it doesn't mean they're a bad product. It just may be that we eat less of those higher sodium options. And, um, and just balancing it out with things that, that have that label. But kudos for looking for a label and for choosing products that, that are marked that way. So it was a great question. Thank you so much for, for sending that in. All right, if you have a question for us, you can give us a call. We've got some open lines, and that means it's a great time to hop on the line with us. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring so, Kevin, one of the other questions I got asked about um, kind of takes us over into mask territory, which I know is a it's a polarized topic and a hotbed of, of confusion for some people. Um, and the, this person asked me if most everyone is wearing a mask and they have been for weeks, why aren't cases going down? And so it's a, it's a great question and one that I think we have to step back and look at where where we are. Right. Um, so I work at UMC. 
we have a you know a mandatory mask mandate when we're not you know in our per- individual offices so to speak and so if you look just around UMC you think everybody's wearing a mask because we are wearing masks there um, but that may not be the case in other areas so just because what you see is a lot of people wearing masks doesn't mean that's happening everywhere um, you know we've got uh, started with Uh, like 13 counties that had mask mandates. And I think we're up to 23 or so now on, on mask mandates. And so that's great. Um, But people don't just live and operate in, in one County. They may move from County to County. And if they're really against wearing a mask, they may choose to go, go and shop in a, in a County that, that doesn't have a mask mandate. And so we've really got to look at those kinds of things. And then we have to look at, what this mask mandate is, right? So it's when we're going in stores and and public places and things like that. And usually we're not spending long amounts of time in very close contact with people in these areas, right? So the, the quick shopping trip, while it's absolutely important to wear your mask, that's probably not super spreading events, right? Um, what we've got to be concerned with is not only wearing masks when we go in stores and those kinds of things, but then doing the, the right thing when we're not mandated to. So, you know, if we're having um, a birthday party or something like that, you know, we've still got to enforce social distancing and limiting the number of people and staying six feet apart and all of these kinds of things, because it's the the everyday behavior um, that is is driving a lot of this community spread, not just wearing masks when we go in stores. Each piece is equally as important um, as the next. It really takes all three um, of the kind of the big um, preventive measures that we're trying to push out, right? Wearing your mask, socially distancing, meaning staying at, you know, at least six feet away from other people and avoiding large groups. Right. And then, you know, not to be left out of the mix is that wash your hands situation and don't touch all of your, all of your bits, you know, don't touch your eyes and your nose and your mouth and all these kinds of things, um, which is harder said than done. We, we touch our face much more than, than we thought, which is one of the benefits of masks actually is you, it, it kind of, makes you remember that you're touching your face when you when you feel your mask there. So it, it's really all three parts of those things. And when we continually do all of those things, then we start to see numbers uh, start to, to trend down. But it takes a little bit of time, right? Incubation for coronavirus is a little bit longer um, than things like the flu and that kind of thing. So when you implement measures, it's going to take a little while before you start to see things trend down but I'm super glad to see people wearing masks much more than they were, um, you know, a couple months back. It's great. Um, and I had a second question about masks, uh, that came in. Well, really not about masks so much as eye protection. So there's been some news articles that have come out about, um, wearing goggles and face shields and all these kinds of things. And so someone asked me, so wait, you can get it through your eyes now. And so I think we have to step back and, and talk about, mucous membranes and what that is. And that's the parts of your body that are, are wet, right. That are moist. So when we're talking about respiratory mucous membranes, your eyes, your nose and your mouth, um, that are mucous membranes. And anytime something is transmitted 
primarily through the respiratory tract, all of those areas can be portals of entry or ways for the, the, the pathogen or the, the virus to, to get into you, right? And so it's not that it's a, a new finding that, so to speak, that we can transmit it in any of those or get it through any of those mucous membranes. It's who is more at risk for those types of things, right? So coronavirus is largely spread by respiratory droplets, okay? The actual virus is small, but it exits the body in a much larger respiratory droplet. And the way droplets were taught to me in nursing school is heavy things drop, right? And so respiratory droplets are heavier than aerosols. And so they fall out of the air much quicker. That's one of the reasons for the six feet distance. So that if you're farther, if you're six feet or farther away from someone, that respiratory droplet is much more likely to fall down lower than your eyeballs or your nose or any of those things that you would then transmit it into. Where we see people who absolutely need eye protection are people that have no choice but to get closer to, than six feet to you. And that's usually healthcare workers, right? I can't listen to your heart and lungs or put you on oxygen or intubate you, which I should not be intubating you because that is not my skill set. But somebody else that can do that, we have to get closer than six feet for that. And so we have to wear eye protection for that. Um, it used to be we kind of just wore that with, with positive patients or when we were you know, swabbing and screening for folks. And now it's becoming, since we know more and more about the number, that there's a lot of asymptomatic people out there, most healthcare workers are now wearing eye protection for any direct patient contact to prevent that. But if the general public will wear their masks, then the respiratory droplets, it's much harder for them to get out um, just because the mask serves as a physical barrier for stopping some of those droplets, as well as staying six feet apart, it's very unlikely that, it, that a droplet would make it into your eye. Um, that's also the reason for hand washing, because if you touch something that has respiratory droplets on it and then you rub your eye, um, that could be a way to do that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. For joining us here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we've been taking your questions and emails and Facebook messages today. And so that's always a great way to get in touch with us. If you're not able to get in on the air, you can always send us an email, fit at mpbonline.org, 
or send me a message over on Facebook, Healthy Habits with Josie. We've got a couple callers on the line, so we're going to hop on over to Gulfport and talk with Paul this morning. Hello, Paul. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, How can I help you today? I've got a, a it's more of a comment. You know, since March, I've heard keep your distance, wash your hands about 100,000 times. But not <laughs> no. once have I heard, heard from the media, from the government, or from anybody. To, when you're in a store or something, keep your stupid mouth shut. These people go into stores and they see their buddy across the store and they start mm. shouting at them. And mm. nobody mentions that. And you know that they've been near six foot distance completely, you know, doesn't yeah. matter because those scores are shooting across. Or screaming lunatic kids. Uh, you know, make your kids shut their mouths. So, I mean, do you agree with that? Well, you know, anytime we speak louder or with more force, it does tend to to push things farther, right? That's why um, yes. singing is often not the best strategy um, for mm-hmm. keeping spread down as well as shouting or, um, you know, even you know, breathing faster or harder or all things. So absolutely, one, we, we shouldn't be shouting at people in, in general, um, regardless um, of infection potential or not. But yes, we should, you know, we should be speaking um, in a normal tone without trying to project things across there. Now, as far as kids, man, kids, um, I've got two and sometimes they just... They just show out. So I haven't figured out how to keep them from, from screaming um, like that. Uh, but we just all do the best that we can. But absolutely, we want to not try and project things farther. But having well, that mask I, there um, is really, really important so that it at least is a physical barrier for stopping the projection of some of those those particles. I, I just think, you know, there's a total lack of critical thinking. And, and also, uh, why do you think that that uh, the health organizations and the media, especially the media, hasn't gone over that. Hmm. Um, you know, Have I've, you heard it? You know, I've, 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 there's been one doctor said something about it, some research doctor somewhere, and said it increases maybe mm-hmm. 10 times the distance or something when you shout. Yeah. But, but yeah. people see their buddies I, across there and they scream at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I will certainly push that information out. I've posted before about the singing um, and that I'm generally kind of not for um, singing right now. Um, But I'll push out that information as well because you bring up a valid point that it's not a narrative that we've been pushing, but it's an important one. So thank you for bringing that. I know they don't think about it, but please, you know, kind of keep quiet in the stores. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for giving us a call and thanks for bringing that to my attention. You're welcome. Have a great rest of your day, okay? All right, we're going to go over to Columbus and talk with Warren. Good morning, Warren. Good morning. How Hello. are you? How can I help you? I'm good. Uh, actually, I thought it might be a mutual benefit. I do love the show. I listen to MPB all the time. This time, with respect to your comment earlier about chiggers and bed, bread bugs. Oh, gosh, yes. In, in my younger days, when I was more exposed to those sort of things. The only solution I found was come home, get a nice dinner, a nice hot bath, and right guard spray deodorant. Huh. Okay. I hadn't heard that one before. Try that. Okay. All right. I will try that. That okay. All right. Well that that's a great tip there. 
I, I try to I keep wet wipes in my car as soon as I got back to the car, kind of wipe my legs down and those kinds of things to get get things off. But that's an excellent tip there. I'm going to look into that. And I mean, probably can't hurt anything. I mean, I may smell like a like a men's locker room for a little while, but <laughs> there are worse things to smell like, I guess. Thank you so much for that, Jeff. And thank you for listening to the show. We really appreciate that so much. All right, we've got a couple of minutes left, Kevin. And I know you had a couple of questions you asked me over the break about asymptomatic and, um, you know, kind of what what that is and does it mean that the virus is not doing any damage uh, to the body. And so, of course, data is limited because a lot of people who are asymptomatic or not having overt symptoms don't seek medical attention, right? So we have a kind of a limited pool of people to, to look at. Um, but there have been some studies out there where there have been people who have not had, you know, the respiratory symptoms that we think of with coronavirus have gone in, you know, maybe for some other type of symptom, fatigue or, you know, belly pain or, or something like that. And uh, they've had a, you know, chest x-ray or CT scan or something like that and had findings of some kind of pathology in the lungs or some changes in the lungs that indicate infection. So, you know, the science is evolving, which, you know, I think that's something that the general public has never seen before, right? We tend to come out with very clear cut scientific guidelines on things. When we make a statement about high blood pressure per se, we, most of the science has, has been gone through. And right now we're seeing science evolve real time where we, we have information, we make decisions based off of that, but then, you know, we then use the response that happens from those decisions to, to prove or disprove things. And so it is, is a very fluid thing at this point, but it does look like there's still some, some um, uh, issues going on in the body when people are asymptomatic. And then I have to think about what the myriad of symptoms are for coronavirus, because it can be, you know, quite um, varied from person to person. Um, whereas some people may just have things like fatigue and not feeling great. Um, you know, just feeling more tired than usual. Uh, maybe some muscle aches that are kind of written off as, as something else going on. Um, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm, I'm tired a lot right now just because of you know, the stress that's on us, maybe not sleeping so well, having some abnormal dreams, which is something that's happening to a lot of people these days. And so it can be easy to kind of discount some of those more mild symptoms as not having any symptom at all. And so we've got to be very careful, um, careful with that, um, that, that we you know, are paying attention to our bodies and really listening and thinking about things and deciding if, you know, if we need to get tested for COVID or not. And so um, the thing with being asymptomatic is that the best evidence that we have now is that people who don't have classic symptoms or any symptoms that they can recognize are still able to, to transmit the virus. And so that is the reason for kind of universal masking and making sure that multiple people have, that everybody has a mask on. Um, I see a lot of um, folks posting on social media that they're healthy. So why should they wear a mask? And, uh, you know, the thing of it is you don't know that you're healthy. You really don't know that you aren't an asymptomatic carrier of coronavirus and could then spread it to someone who is not 
going to do well with it. So, you know, it's kind of asking you to take one for the team. Um, they, even when you feel, feel fine, wear that mask, you know, stay six feet away from folks. Don't go to big old gigantic events. You know, there is going to be a time for celebrations. Um, but right now it's just, it's just not a good idea, uh, to, to do those things. And as our, uh, recent caller print, don't shout at folks, like <laughs> text them. If you feel like you need to say something to them across the store, um, uh, but don't shout, but really just, you know, do the little things, the basic things, um, to, to show love and respect for your fellow human being. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.